0: Hello and welcome to Starts and Grafts. I'm Conor Fogg, and each week I'm joined by an emerging artist to discuss the highs and lows of forging a creative career amidst a global pandemic. This week I'm joined by Luca Manning, a singer, songwriter and self-confessed occasional loudmouth from Glasgow. He's kept himself busy this past year, performing at online festivals, working on new music and even launching his own podcast. I'm really looking forward to having this chat and can't wait to find out some more. Luca Manning, welcome to the podcast. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is is fun, isn't it? It's nice to be on someone else's podcast for a change.
0: Yeah, because you've launched your own podcast, which I'm very excited to find out a little bit more about. Where are you recording from today?
1: I'm recording from my home in East London. I'm an East London gal. Um yeah, kinda of brick lane area and yeah, this is my me in my bedroom talking to you today.
0: Nice. We're recording this just as lockdown restrictions start to ease. Have you been able to get out and make the most of it yet?
1: Well it's an interesting you know, it's amazing to see a bit of life again because I am living relatively central. Like it's been quite strange in lockdown, like with things not being open. But just in the past week, it's been amazing to like see beautiful people around and people outside in pubs and shops and just you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, this is how life is meant to be. And I did go to a couple of pubs on the first night that they opened but i actually didn't drink which for anyone that knows me they'll probably be on the floor in a state of shock right now <laughs> but um i'm being quite well behaved at the moment um for a brief period of my life Um, So I have been to the pub, but I haven't actually been my usual wasted self. But it's been great seeing life open up again.
0: You've done well to get a table. I mean, I've struggled so much to book a table. Well,
1: it was no, um, it was nothing to do with me. I'm very lucky that I have pals who are far more organised than I am. So I just kind of went along with the general plan (laughs) and uh, didn't actually, yeah, I didn't actually book anything myself. Um, But I have some stuff for later in in the coming months booked and, as we see, like kind of, um, I'm, I'm going to a few like DJ sets and open rooftopy things, and I'm sure they'll be good fun.
0: August Bank Holiday weekend in London is going to be chaos from the amount of festivals that have already announced their lineups.
1: Totally, totally, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff going on. It's amazing. It is a bit overwhelming in the sense that, like, I've been used to, like seven o'clock i'm under a blanket watching the telly if anyone calls me i'm absolutely outraged i'm not speaking to anyone to now being like ready to go out and suddenly like yeah just everyone's announcing these amazing things and it's like oh shit like you need to get on it need to get tickets for this blah, blah, blah. it's exciting though that's how life is meant to be it's just we've kind of forgotten
0: yeah it's just kind of a weird adapting back to it have you managed, have I managed? to get anywhere? <sighs> See, you can tell that you host a podcast because you're asking me questions now.
1: I I like it. I I don't get, you know, like, people are like, oh, will you come and chat on the podcast? And I'm like, well, forget of a chat, then I'm going to ask you questions.
0: Yeah, so I'm currently based in South West London. I could not, for the life of me, get a pub in South West London for tomorrow. So I'm going all the way to Greenwich, which is a trek.
1: Yeah, but Greenwich is lovely. Yeah, it's nice, and it'll
0: be really good to catch up with mates. But I want to talk about your music, and I've mentioned that you're a singer and a songwriter, Mm. but tell me a little bit more about the music that you make and interests you
1: well I think this is an interesting time to ask me this because what I've discovered is is a kind of returning to my I hate this word eclectic because I feel like everyone uses it but my eclectic roots because I was brought up in such a massively varied kind of palette of music like through my my family and stuff and then I got really into this niche thing called jazz when I was about 15 and decided that I really, really wanted to understand this kind of newfound language. So I spent years immersing myself in the jazz tradition and jazz music and came to London to study a degree in jazz. So I'd been making a lot of jazz music and I released an album and I uh, gigged a lot in the UK scene. And, and I think jazz in itself is such a small word to describe a music that's so vast sonically um, but I would say that I've predominantly worked in the jazz scene, however I've now realised that everything I've just said I want to kind of shake away from mm. I think that genre in my mind is a bit dead and the music that I make is just what resonates with me, what tells my narrative and what excites me just now. What One of the most exciting things that I can think about myself is that i can't tell you the music that i might go and write tomorrow morning when i get up in the morning what that might sound like okay. you know like yesterday i was like completely immersed in like Bjork, and then today i was listening to like some like althea and donna like old reggae tunes like mm. you know while i was drinking coffee it's like for me music is just so beautifully diverse and i'm just i love it all i love soaking all of it up so i hate the idea of having to kind of put myself in one camp and um, when it comes to talking about my music
0: i like what you said then about genre being dead Mm. because i think it can be quite off-putting and i think it can close people off to tapping into types of music that they don't think is for them or the type of thing that they're into
1: or you know the potential of like creating something beautiful because you're like oh well i don't do that but Mm. you could be like the sickest like trad folk guitar player out there but you want to be fucking van halen and you just don't know it it's like i don't know maybe that's an extreme example but for me what i've realized is like i used to just everywhere you would see my name it was like jazz singer jazz singer jazz singer and like i kind of was very comfortable with that and I, i was actively pushing that and then i was like i think you've come to a point where like you're comfortable enough in like who you are that i know where my roots are and i know what i've been trained in and whatever but i don't need to kind of shove that in anyone's face stylistically anymore it's like What I create is what I create, and I want that to speak for itself.
0: Do you think that's quite important within jazz? Jazz is often seen as being quite highbrow, I think. Right. Do you think there's a need to really solidify yourself within that scene?
1: Yeah, I think the jazz scene, like, when I came to London, like, because the Scottish jazz scene is incredibly diverse in its musical output. Like, what you see coming out of Glasgow, especially where I grew up, is, like, such an amazing diverse amount of music that's actually represented really well on the UK scene as a whole. Like the output is massive. Right. And when I came to London you have that same diversity in the music, but it it seems to be in little pockets and like there's there's scenes within scenes and, and then there's people that cross over amongst all these scenes and whatever. But obviously just coming to London I was like I just really wanted to assert myself as someone who was ambitious and someone that could Make it in the scene, and and I definitely like felt pressure to just be a great jazz singer and like do all the things that were expected of me. But now I'm a bit like fuck that. There's so much more in the world and in the musical world to be explored, you know, than just what you think that you know the jazz scene's are just a bubble of it's, it's such a bubble and it's so small and very quickly you realize, you know, if you if you do the things that you want to do then you can kind of go okay well actually there's so much else out there and i don't need to just constantly bash home this jazz thing and as you say it can become super highbrow and like the scene can be quite macho and, and slightly aggressive in its way of working so like you just constantly want to like be like yeah I'm doing this thing and then it's like well actually what is that saying like at the end of the day you just want to make music because you love it so well
0: there's lots of conversations happening within jazz anyway and I touched upon that in my conversation a few weeks ago with Helena mm. in terms of you know women in jazz and the kind of patriarchy within jazz which I think is really interesting yeah but what I want to find out a bit more about is your journey so what are your earliest memories of making music and showing an interest in singing you talked about that broad range of influences as a child
1: yeah i think i mean i don't really remember like today i'm gonna be a singer like i think i always sang and music always resonated with me sure um i don't come from a family of like musicians by trade like but I come from a family of people that love art and are creative and like always loved music. Music was always on in the house and like I guess like I just was was lucky that I was given the opportunity to explore that and supported by my family to you know I was like given piano lessons from a young age and always encouraged to perform at parties and and stuff and then I remember like getting into playing like the ukulele because my fingers were a bit too fat to play the guitar and, th- and it was a bit too much hard work so I was like let's go for four strings instead of six and uh, I was like in this little pop rock band and I'd like write tunes about being kind of angsty and I was like 13 or 14 and we were like playing gigs around Glasgow and I was just thrilled that I could like get away with drinking underage <sighs> in these venues because I was in the band and um, kind of just learning how to like sell tickets and kind of hustle in the music scene and then started kind of more formal training like was in there was a great music department at my high school which I was just lucky to have because it was like a regular state school but I had amazing music teachers who like did so much extracurricular stuff and then um had like free lessons at school and was able to like do so much there and then they kind of put me onto this weekly jazz workshop that was being run by the Strathclyde Youth Jazz Orchestra and that's where I you know, I kind of went there, like, having gotten into really, like, really gotten into, like, Amy Winehouse records and um, old-school soul stuff like Aretha and Stevie, and then was like, yeah, I know what jazz is, and then rocked up and was like, shit, I actually have no idea what these folk are on about. So then I, like, kind of went to immerse myself in jazz and, and started some real kind of formal training in that, and that's when I decided I wanted to go to conservatoire and stuff like that. So, yeah, it kind of, it, it was all a bit backward for me. Like, I didn't have the... I would say at the start it was mostly informal and like was very much just driven by my love of creating and performing and um like making music with other people and then when i got into jazz i realized that maybe i needed a bit more like of the groundwork um if i wanted to go and study so i'd read
0: that before strathclyde you know the youth jazz orchestra there you'd described yourself as being a bit of a frustrated rock star
1: yeah yeah i mean that that is the kind of thing because i was brought up in like so my mom had used to always get the singles out like the old records and that was like a lot of like Donna Summer and Bronski Beat and like Blondie and um, the Specials and the Beat and she was also like really into like punk music and I remember going I went through a lot of like phases and I was really into punk music and wanted to play like like heavier stuff and just couldn't get my shit together to play the guitar so then my gran kind of was like do piano lessons and thank God she forced me because the grounding music has been amazing for that um, and then yeah like just kind of realised that the consistent theme for me has always just been resonating with voices, big voices, such as um, storytelling. Well, anyone from like Sinead O'Connor to like Stevie Wonder to Billie Holiday. And um, yeah, then when I got into jazz, like the people that immediately resonated with me were like Chet Baker and Ella and Sarah Vaughan and, and these kind of people, like a lot more of the kind of melancholy and the like swing rather than, like, I never really resonated with the crooner thing straight away. Like, I used to, like, actively disassociate with, like, Sinatra. I was quite into Tony Bennett, but I had this thing about Sinatra. And the thing is, I fucking love Frank Sinatra. And, like, his, like, skill set is incredible like, as a singer. And But I just felt like as a... I just felt like I was being pigeonholed into this, like, stereotype for, like, a crooner. Like, if people seen, like, male vocalist on, like, a big band gig, then they'd just, like, chuck me some, like, half hour Sinatra repertoire that was, like, far too low for me vocally and i could never do justice because i didn't want to be like that kind of singer so now i've found a way to like stand them on to two feet and do it how i do it but like i remember at the start like really actively rejecting that kind of stereotype and wanting to be way more like um i don't know like people like betty carter and mark murphy and people that were just a bit more kind of wacky and out there and i guess that was the kind of punk thing in me as well so it was like being a punk but singing jazz music and trying to be a bit kind of edgy but um I don't know. It's all a complex.
0: <laughs> it sounds like you've almost, um can almost picture kind of like, um, oh, what are they called? Not an hourglass kind of thing, but I get this image of you started off as a child with all these different influences, kind of come down into fine tuning it into jazz and now you're looking to mm. to bring it back out again.
1: That's actually, yeah, that's a great observation. I kind of feel, I, I really do feel like that. There was a period where I needed to hone those skills and I wanted to do a certain things, but I feel like, now that's and now i'm opening back up again to the other possibilities that are on offer and yeah that is kind of how it feels exactly as you described
0: it sounds like there are always lots of opportunities available to you when you were younger yeah in glasgow musically which i think is really interesting because i want to know a little bit about what the arts and culture scene is like in glasgow a because i didn't grow up there and b i think I'm trying to word this in the right way, but I think a lot of English people think of Scottish arts and culture and can't see beyond Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I think that's a fair observation to make. Totally. Just, yeah, tell me a little bit about Glasgow and what kind of things are happening there.
1: I mean, for me, like the Glasgow arts and music scene, or just the Glasgow creative scene is like, Absolutely unparalleled. Like, you know, I love the fringe and I love that you can go to Edinburgh and drink in the streets, which you can't in Glasgow. But um, (laughs) like Glasgow for me, like if you look at the arts scene there, it's just absolutely incredible. And always has been. Like just recently, like I was having this conversation with my gran. Like, my gran's like very knowledgeable about like the arts scene and like everything like that. Um, and she was telling me that like the glasgow school of art was like in the late 19th early 20th century like the glasgow School of art was like one of the first art schools to like um have like female arts and crafts students and like the glasgow girls who were around at that time they were like dubbed this name of like um glasgow arts and crafts makers were like kind of the center of not just european arts and crafts but kind of the world that in terms of they, it exhibits all over europe and this was all coming out of glasgow at that time and so i think glasgow is like a rich history of like having an amazing art scene but in terms of me growing up it was just amazing like the opportunities on offer like all the venues and all the like bands that were around and as I say like people in my school like and when I got into jazz like that that scene as well because I guess because we have the conservatoire so like the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland is in Glasgow it's in Glasgow city centre so there's so many musicians and in the courses there like you don't just have classical but you have a jazz course and a trad music course and then actors and dancers and whatever and you have like great filmmakers and like I remember there was this I mean the pivotal point for me was probably like all the musicians that were at conservatoire were like there was a lot of jam nights and stuff that happened and this was while I was still at school and then I'd just go down and like get to know them and and there was like this session that used to happen in a place called Duke's Bar in the west end of Glasgow and started up by an amazing woman called Cheryl Chadder and Cheryl basically gave me like my first gigs and started like this this jam night was so authentic because and and so unique because it would be like a thursday night and it would be packed like queues out the door to get in of like young people in their like early 20s to come and listen to jazz music which is just like not something you'd really seen before in glasgow it was kind of like a sunday afternoon average age of about to die listening (laughs) to jazz music do you know what i mean so god's
0: waiting room kind of vibes
1: yeah 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 so, like the energy was just amazing. And then it, it became really cool to, to get into jazz music. And the scene was great at that point. And then, you know, the Blue Arrow Jazz Club was founded. And, you know, a lot of bands kind of formed or like trialed there. I remember like Graham Costello had started Strata and they were like doing stuff at Block, which was like a cool new adventure. And everything that Liam was doing with like Corto Alto. And there was just a lot stuff happening a lot of exciting stuff brimming on the horizon and
0: you were immersed in that yeah
1: yeah so like i and and the jazz scene became so much wider like both sonically and in terms of the people that operated in it so like i remember like seeing kitty around who like is now a force of nature on the scottish music scene and like kitty's someone that came up in the like maybe the more of the indie circuit but was able to like come and get involved in the jazz scene and like now i'd say the scottish scene is a lot more fluid because of that so like you have people that aren't necessarily like going to concert or like doing the straight ahead thing but they're still involved in the jazz scene and i think that's really important just to have a variety of people involved really so yeah it was really cool like and it still is thriving really so it was great to have that
0: amazing and for you key moment must have been when you won the rising star award at the scottish jazz awards in 2018 yeah that, was, that must have been unreal
1: it was yeah it was pretty weird like that was so i'd just come to london i think i was in my first year at uni and then just to have that recognition like to get to be nominated like was really amazing to have the recognition from the scottish scene um have even though i'd moved away which was great and i've always made sure that i stay connected to the scottish scene throughout my time in london because it's really important to me and yeah to when it was mental like it was so bizarre um how old were you at the time uh, 18 or 19 maybe wow so <laughs> yeah it was quite it was it was really strange but it was it was so humbling and so beautiful and like and obviously gave me like a real boost in my career at that point which i think is exactly what that award is intended to do and it just gave me confidence to keep doing what i was doing and um yeah it was a great night like the scottish jazz awards is always a beautiful night of like you get to see everyone in the one place and drink a lot of free prosecco and i took my mom and my gran along and it was all very cute and yeah it was great
0: sounds amazing so then You then went on to release your debut album when The Sun comes out in 2019. Yeah. Tell me about the process behind making it and also wanting to put out an album at nineteen twenty.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it was like, I wish I could tell you that there was some big elaborate plan, but it was maybe one of the most erratic decisions I've, I've made to date, really. Like, I just, I wanted to do some recording with Fergus McCready because I just adored him. And I still do. And I just like when you I think when you find someone like as a singer, especially like when you find someone that can just that just gets it and gets you and you can have that amazing musical connection. Then I just really wanted to record and I never really intended to do an album, but I have this amazing teacher at Guildhall called sarah coleman and and suppose like sarah's like a mentor and has been throughout my time at college but i'd met her just prior to coming to college and had this kind of amazing relationship with her and she suggested like doing an album so i just booked an extra day of recording and all of a sudden like because it was a duo recording like we could get away with less planning and i don't think we actually rehearsed like we, we only got the chance to play together once i'd come up to glasgow for the recording so it was very spur of the moment and all that album was meant to be was a snapshot in time of what those two days were like. And I think that's that was achieved. Um, so because it's recorded live, isn't it? It's all live, yeah. It's in a room in Glasgow. Um, Gus did it, just came and threw up some mics. And you can hear like the creaky piano stool and uh, cars passing outside. And it's not, you know, everything's live. We're playing together in the room. And then one of the most special things about that album for me is also that we had Laura McDonald playing on it who's an incredible alto saxophone player who was another mentor of mine back in Glasgow and also recently like made it to the MasterChef finals. Oh really? um, On telly. Yeah. She's, she's so inspiring. Like just honestly, that's been her big journey recently is that she became a MasterChef finalist and she's now got this whole new kind of cooking celeb chef career taking off, which is just so inspiring talking about lockdown and how creative people have adapted. Um, So yeah, like watching her thrive just now has really made me reminisce of memories of making that album and playing together and she features on it. And yeah, you know, I listen to that album now and I'm like, oh my God, it's like a baby voice, you know. But still so proud of what I achieved. You know, I did that myself and self-released and made a lot of mistakes, um, which I've learned from, but I'm proud of it. I'm really proud of it.
0: Do you think having done that so early on has given you time you like you said learn from those mistakes and really yeah. be able to reflect and have you reflected on it much during lockdown in particular
1: i suppose i have because now that i'm looking into releasing new music like i'm thinking about what the the aim of that album was in terms of what it represented and what the aim of my music is now and you know that with that album it was all about like a snapshot in time as i say and also maybe gaining recognition from the wider jazz media and jazz community whereas now, like, as I said before, it's about who I am as an artist and it's a lot wider um, in terms of its accessibility and its reach in terms of what I'm creating. So, yeah, I think that album served its purpose at that time and now I'm reflecting and thinking, okay, how far can I take it now?
0: Because it's a mixture of a couple of original songs and also some of your favourite songs and cover versions of those as well.
1: Yeah, it's a real kind of mix of stuff really, isn't it? And I think you can get away with that as a singer because you are the if you're sure of yourself as a singer then you are the you bring the cohesiveness to the record with your voice and with the way me and fergus interact and it's not me plus an accompanist it's like it's a a duo it really is a partnership with me and him um so yeah it it felt like i just wanted to pick songs that, that really meant a lot to me in that moment and they're songs that i've only really play it with fergus now like i'd only really play them with him and to kind of again tell the story of that time
0: i want to talk about collaborations i think Mm. especially in the context of lockdown but i think first shall we listen to one of your tracks oh yeah do you want to introduce
1: it yeah well this will lead really nicely into talking about collaboration and in lockdown because this was all done remotely and is a collaboration with me and two other musicians so there's an amazing I sing in a choir called the London Vocal Project, led by Pete Churchill, and someone I met through that, um, my fellow tenor, is a wonderful musician called Ed Blunt. And Ed had done this amazing vocal arrangement of Here Comes the Sun, but there's a little sneaky um, mashup in there of uh, another tune that you'll hear and i just really liked it and then i kind of forgot about it and then pulled it out one day in lockdown as you do you know we're all kind of sifting through the stuff that we had lying about and um sent him a little recording of me playing it and then he was like oh we should record this and he laid down some keys and then i work a lot with a bass player called hugo piper and he's great at bringing like real kind of he uses the bass in such an innovative way and adds a lot of multi-layered stuff multi-track stuff in electronics so I got him to lay some stuff down in it and this was our version of uh, Here Comes the Sun me, Hugo Piper and Ed Blunt Little darling It's been a long cold, lonely winter Little darling It feels like years since it's been here Here comes the sun Here comes the sun, the sun, I feel like this is the beginning Though I've loved you for a million years Myself, drowning in my
0: so that was Luca and co with Here Comes the Sun. A very apt choice actually of song as we start to kind of ease out of lockdown mm. I feel. Yeah. So where can we find not just this track but actually the rest of your music?
1: Well it's kind of dotted around. Um, obviously I'm on Spotify and Apple Music, you know the normal streaming services. Um, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube my website um, and my socials you know there's a lot of stuff up there um, my my Instagram's at Luca Manning underscore and I feel like if you just go to Instagram you'll then find everything else but yeah I've not actually released any new music on Spotify or anything for over a year now but that is very much about to change um, but everything yeah like stuff like Here Comes the Sun that's maybe on YouTube or on my socials these are just little things that i ended up doing a lot of collaborating in lockdown a lot of recording for various folks so these things are just kind of dotted around the internet really
0: we'll put a link on our link to anyway to your website which then people can cool. kind of like fire off in different directions um we've talked about your journey so far and kind of what you're up to in scotland and your upbringing which has been which has been really fascinating but i want to talk about how you found the past year in particular how would you go about summarising the past 12 months for you as an artist
1: Um, I would say they've been really reflective challenging exciting Um, I mean I feel so lucky right because I think this pandemic actually has like shown the class struggle that's ongoing up and down the country and the people that have benefited from it are people that comfortably live as it is and the people that have suffered are the people that struggle you know as they live anyway so so i i feel very lucky that i've had the security of being a student of having a family that can support me an amazing landlord and opportunities to work as a creative person um so obviously initially everything kind of the diary was wiped you know of stuff and we all kind of were like shit what is going to happen yeah so i took that time of time off and then college started coming back so I've had again I've had the routine of like college whether it's online or in the building I've I've had stuff that I've had to do and um, then creatively like you know I really feel that actually this time has given me so much to think about and and to think right what do I want and we've all had to adapt and improvise and really search for ways to keep going and I've really found that in myself through like the inspiration of others like what my pals are doing at the moment like the way how creative they're being the music they're making the just well not just musicians but all creatives have have actually kind of spurred me on to do stuff so um shout out to all the creative folk i know who have just simply kept me going but yeah no i've done honestly i've done things that i would have been incredibly happy to do if the world was back to normal you know i've opportunities to perform like when i did jazz voice at the opening of the london jazz festival and and the ronnie's live stream that i did and um collaborated with people that i never thought i would have and written music and you know home recording setups i never did any of this type of stuff before so actually it's been a hugely positive thing for me and i've really taken the reins uh, uh, taken control of my life in a whole new way um both personally and creatively um, but also, at times, it's been wholly depressing and difficult and lonely. And yeah, it's been a real roller coaster. Really.
0: Has writing been something that you've turned too much over the past 12 months? I know a Ooh. lot of my other guests have really used this time to, you know, write something, whether that's been poetry, music, or a script. It's come up a lot.
1: Yeah, I suppose I have. I have written, again, a mixture of spoken word and collaborations with other people, whether it's lyrics or top line or whole new songs for me but equally i hated you know this pressure of right it's lockdown go and write the album that's going to make you a star because ultimately i write about the human condition about life and about my experiences and my narrative and the experiences of others and mm. when your experience is like the same thing every day it's not the most inspiring thing to write about so it ebbs and flows for me it's like some days it just comes together and it works and then other days it doesn't I'm very lucky that one of my songwriting inspirations and teachers is Feeney Bierman who in the first lockdown ran a series of songwriting workshops online for people that really gave them techniques and starting points and inspiration and just a chance to share as songwriters and and then again we've had that in more formal way of classes as part of college so even in the days where I've not felt inspired i've got tools there that will spur me on if i really want to have something um but yeah it's, it's all a balance like some days i just want to go for a walk and call my pals and check in with my mum, and then other days i'm writing music and and trying to get that together and i think collaborating for me has been a massive thing like feeding off the energy of other creatives mm. i feel like having the input of other creative folk in the form of collaborating is a massive thing for me because then it doesn't all just rest on your shoulders and you're not the only one hearing it, so yeah I thought it was
0: interesting what you said about ebbs and flows with writing I want to include a piece of advice that we got from the wonderful Joan Eola, Mm. an actress who has had an incredible stage career at places like the RSC and the Globe, what she said was that our imagination is made up of a range of fragments short and sharp often in the wrong order, sometimes in the day, mainly at night. Right now, our thoughts are a mixture of the jumbled and the clear. My advice would be to write it all down. By jotting things down, we can turn those fragments into the idea for a story. My journal is my marker that my creativity is moving. And in this quiet time, we can listen to what our heart is saying, and it will lead us to what we want to create. Just incredible words there. Yeah. that I think almost resonated a little bit with what you were saying about taking notes of the right little things and not forcing yourself to create that big picture all at once and taking time to do that.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. It does resonate with me because I'm very much, I I will write things down both. I have like a a little writing book and then my phone is filled with, I mean, I'm that nutter in the street (laughs) who's walking down and singing voice memos into their phone or writing just like one line and my notes or whatever and and then it means that you have a bag of little creative jewels to pick from if you do get stuck you know some days a whole song will come out but to be honest that's rare um well i've seen your instagram
0: right and that you do lots of kind of short four line kind of songs with your ukulele and stuff yeah
1: just little ideas yeah are they
0: snapshots of your day
1: they are yeah totally and then sometimes these songs come into fruition and and i'll have a session with someone and and maybe that'll turn into a full thing but yeah i'm a big believer in the process and not just the finished product um especially when it comes to writing with other people and collaborating it's like if you walk in expecting a finished number one hit every time you're actually gonna get anything but that but if you walk in believing in the process and just creating for the sake of creating and keeping it's like a muscle songwriting um you just flex the muscle and like someone told me that ed Sheeran, like regardless of what you think about his music he writes a lot of songs for a lot of people and a pal of mine said that he kind of gave the analogy of like a tap you know when you go to a glass of water you let it run first so it's like getting all the shit out before you you know you need to kind of get rid of it so yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's, a, it's okay to just have bits of things and be a bit scatty because there's creative people we more often than not are so just write it all down and see what happens
0: i love that analogy i'm definitely stealing that future episodes of the podcast yeah it's cool isn't it it's cool have you got new material coming out there yeah. in the pipeline i have yeah tell me about it tell me as much as you can about it yeah it's
1: hard to know how much i can say but basically like in general there's going to be a lot of new things from me which is really exciting um in particular there is a release coming out early summer which i'm really really excited about and it's a collaboration with two incredible artists um one is bella and one is cameron ward and the three of us have made something very very special that we're really proud of and yeah this is yeah we'll be announcing the release date and everything soon but um that's what i can say for now and that has truly been collaboration in the truest sense. And we did it all remotely throughout lockdown. And it's, yeah, it's just really, I'm really proud of it.
0: How was that remote collaborating? How did you find
1: that? I found it so fun, so rewarding. But I think that's because I have a previous relation. Like, I've known Bella for a long time. We both grew up in Glasgow together in the kind of Glasgow music scene. And despite her being in Leeds and me being in London, like, I feel like we both just instantly connected on what we wanted to make. So although it was done remotely it sounds that we're in the same room like we're on the same page just in terms of vibe and everything and we wrote like instantly like within a night like just through voice memos we'd written this tune and then cam ward is just like an insane producer who just brought it to life and i think just the three of us were such kindred spirits in that moment we just knew what we wanted to create so yeah i'm excited just for it to be out into the world to be honest because that was a collaboration that just worked there was no stress it worked Um, And then, you know, there's a few other things in the pipeline as well, which are um, collaborations with some amazing people of, of varying degrees you know whether it's just me kind of being featured or maybe I've written something or whatever it's um quite exciting to know that it's all on its way sounds like it's
0: been extremely productive and I want to talk yeah to say about... that
1: and then I'm like I don't know what I've been doing but yeah I suppose <laughs> when I actually sit down and say it, I'm like okay no there's stuff been going on but
0: me. it's hard to kind of give yourself that credit I think it's,
1: yeah massively without okay.
0: having someone like me forcing you to kind of bring it out of yourself
1: I really struggle with that Yeah, I really struggle with that, yeah.
0: But in terms of gigging, you mentioned the Ronnie Scott's live stream session that you did, and that was back in January. Yeah. And when I was kind of like preparing for our conversation, I thought it was really interesting that I'd spoken to Helena de Bono, who had done a similar Mm. kind of session, but in March when the roadmap had been announced. You did it back in January, I think, when there wasn't as much kind of light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Yeah, we were like fully in lockdown. Yeah, yeah.
0: So what was that like? And did it feel like this could be what was going to be ahead in terms of live performance for a long time to come?
1: Uh, I mean, well, it was one of my favourite gigs ever, actually, despite there being no audience. I just love playing with those boys and like... I think because we all had been through Christmas and stuff, which was just really tough. Mm. Like, we all needed it. And, like, to be on a stage with some of my favorite people, you know, I had Tom Potter on drums, Seth Tackberry on bass, and Matt Carter on keys. Just insane band. And we just had fun. We just had fucking fun. And, like, and then people were so responsive to it. Like, I think because the quality of the stream at Ronnie's is so good. Like, to me, streaming doesn't replace a live gig at all. They're two separate entities because one, you're performing to cameras and one, you're performing to people. So to me, they're different skill sets and you need them both in a time like this. So it won't replace live gigging as live gigs Mm. come back. People want to be in the room because it's a totally different experience. But what that enabled me to have was a whole new reach. Like, I think I checked the YouTube the other day because someone had asked me about the stream specifically and it's like four and a half thousand views just on the YouTube stream. That's more people than we ever would have got in Ronnie's on that night. So, you know, it's been cool to to have that out there and, and I'm really happy with it. And yeah, I think generally the way the industry has made streaming available and the way it's presented really matters to me it should be an immersive visual experience as well as an audio one because it's a stream rather than a live gig like lauren vula like with her new record did this incredible live stream and it was like a full-on immersive experience and i was like this is how you do a live stream
0: it felt almost like a music video at times. yes
1: exactly and the way it was shot was like you were in this world with her and like that to me is where streaming needs to go it's not like an iPhone camera in your bedroom, as endearing as that is. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah.
0: I think it definitely does. Is there live performance on the horizon for you?
1: Yeah, I've got a couple of things. So I'm I'm actually at Ronnie's with a live audience on the 28th of June, which I'm really excited about. And I have Sharice as my special guest, um, who's an incredible singer. Um yeah, we did that gig at the Spice of Life and Soho with live audience back in October when we could briefly have that. And it was just like an electrifying energy. And it was the first time me and Sharice had actually sung together on a gig and then we had the opportunity to bring it to Ronnie's. So that'll be the 28th of June. And then I'm going to Austria, all fingers crossed, uh, at the end of July for a festival, um, which is like this new band that I put together with my own music as six piece band um, and they're the kind of yeah live things that I'm looking forward to hopefully how's that come about the gig in Austria Uh, it was actually through I mean so it's in tone jazz festival um, it's it's this amazing festival and and they just reached out and, and asked if I wanted to play and it was through someone that helps run the vortex jazz club in Dalston that I've you know played at over the years and yeah it was just one of these amazing opportunities that came up and I'm really happy Weirdly, me and Fergus are both playing the same year, so like he'll be there with his trio, which is really cute. So um hopefully our paths will cross.
0: That'll be a really nice opportunity to kind of get back together and, yeah. and catch up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked a lot about your music, which is incredible and like I said, fascinating. But I just want to quickly touch upon what you've been doing outside of music, which is launching your own podcast the how not podcast
1: yeah what made you want to do that well i think through covid i've reflected on my own creativity and like being an artist and i think like when you go to conservatoire like it's drilled into you to be one thing so like i was always like i'm a vocalist i'm a jazz singer i'm a musician and these are all very narrow pathways in the grand scheme of things because really i'm an artist that's inspired by fashion and creativity and art and like podcasts and like everything so I just embraced my creativity on on, like a macro scale and I was encouraged to do that by someone who does that very well and that person is Kim McCarty, who co-hosts the podcast with me so I just reached out to Kim because on my mailing list I was interviewing creative folk that I love every month so i had like steph burrell who's a dancer that i've collaborated with i had zosa cole and then i'd asked kim and kim was like well why don't we actually just start a podcast and i was like all right and we just did it and it worked and and we've been yeah we launched it like last week and and we've had such good response and episode one's out and now we'll record weekly episodes and it's just been an amazing outlet for my creativity and there's other things you know so the podcast and i'm also looking at doing some stuff like visually in the creative world and um, that'll be announced quite soon and yeah it's, it's all about just opening up my creative being to other art forms and other disciplines that aren't just me as the singer all the time just so because they all inform each other you
0: know? what kind of things can we expect to hear talked about on the podcast
1: so w- we are the podcast that kind of like to talk with two gobby scottish creatives that like to talk about the big stuff so we want to create this kind of community of good troublemakers that always kind of think big and ask how not so uh we talk about big issues and big ideas and then also inspiring kind of trailblazers profiles of people that we love and um as well as things that are closer to home um, and that we have direct experience of. So our first episode was on the right to protest and, and this new bill that was being introduced by Pretty Patel um and why that's a pile of dog shit. And then our second episode, which will come out this week, is a profile on Keith Heron, the artist that we're both really inspired by. And then we have some other stuff um that's more personal to us. And we'll have some guests and all sorts. So yeah, it's really a wide open thing that's just about me and Kim being a bit gobby and enjoying that. Really
0: Nice. I'm looking forward to that second one then. I didn't know you had that lined up. I love Keith Haring.
1: Yeah, yeah. So tune into that.
0: incredible stuff out there about him and kind of just that time period in general that he was working with in like oh, 80s New yeah. York. It's insane.
1: Paradise Garage and Grace Jones and Andy Warhol. and Yeah, it's super inspiring.
0: But I tell you what, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks
1: for having me. I've got one yeah,
0: one last question to kind of round it off with, which is if you were to look back on what you've achieved so far as an artist, if you could go back and give yourself advice,
1: what would it be? Uh, massive question, isn't it? Huge. I think the biggest um, one yet. I think I'd really like just tell myself to like trust in the journey, like be as authentic as you can and like just trust that it'll all come in time. You know, My mum always says, what's for you won't go by you. And I think I'm, I'm guilty of putting far too much pressure on myself to achieve things. And I just think ultimately the best things happen organically. So I just say, trust in the process and remain authentic to yourself and it'll all work out the way it's meant to work out because I know I'm ambitious anyway and I do the work. So what will be, will be.
0: Brilliant words to end the podcast with. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Cheers.
0: I want to say a huge thank you to the wonderful Luca Manning for joining me on the podcast. Go and check out his music. You can find it in all the usual places. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Starts and Grafts on Twitter and Instagram. I've been your host Connor, Ella's been your producer, and we'll be back again next week for the final episode of this series. But until then, take care. Thank you.